can turn to Philippians chapter 3. That's where we'll start this morning. We'll actually be looking at a couple passages in Philippians. I'll give you a quick update. Um, Some of you guys have been asking about my eye. I will be going in for surgery Thursday. Uh, For my eye, it is real surgery. Um, And so I'll be out for a while. I hope to be back with you guys on Easter. Um, So I'll have about a week and a half recovery. So anyways, thank you all for, for praying for me and all that. You guys have been very generous. Um, Well, we're going to look at Philippians 3 this morning, and we're going to talk a lot about choosing to follow certain kinds of people. i got to be honest with you, though. I don't really like the thought of being a follower. Uh, I would rather think of myself as independent, as a free thinker, as unique, as a leader of others. And yet, despite my desire to be independent, I betray that desire over and over again. Here's a recent example. Um, Buck Anderson is our leadership development pastor on staff, and um, Buck, Buck likes to use sports analogies. Uh, Buck can compare every single thing our church does to football or baseball. Somehow, the man can do it. And uh, to be honest, it kind of annoys me a bit because I don't really know a lot about football and baseball. I mean, I know the basics like any guy does, but often Buck's analogies lose me. That's why I was shocked when about two weeks ago I was talking to another one of our staff members and I heard these words come, of my, come out of my mouth. Um, we made that decision because that's really the only play we can run. <laughs> Wait a minute, I, I'm not the sports guy. What's that? Where'd that come from? How am I using sports? I don't even like sports analogies and here I'm using a football analogy. Why is that? Because I could not help imitating Buck. As much as I fight it, the man rubbed off on me. And now I am using his sports analogies. It drives me crazy. Well, I did some research this week and I found out, you know what, it's, it's actually, it's not my fault. Um, here's some interesting research. In, in 1977, Andrew Melzoff from Oxford University and Keith Moore from the University of Washington published a groundbreaking study that concluded that infants between 12 and 21 days old were already capable of imitating the facial expressions of adults. That They were born with an innate capacity to recognize and repeat the movements of adults. That ability to mimic becomes a way that infants learn to communicate. Another study, a similar study, uh, was done by a team of French and American social cognitive neuroscientists, and they identified an actual place in your brain that is involved in human imitation. The team leader is a neuroscientist named Jean Desité, who says of the research, this work is important because imitation is a natural procedure. We do not learn to imitate. It is part of our biological nature and we are born to imitate. In other words, you don't, you don't become an imitator. You are an imitator. We all naturally follow other people. We cannot help that. We are born to imitate the example of other people. That's just part of who we are. We naturally look up to other people. We follow their examples. That's not just true of kids. We adults may want to believe that we are wholly independent free thinkers, but we are not. We're better at masking it, at deceiving ourselves, but we're imitators just like infants are. That's a hardwired part of our brain, to imitate others. So this morning, as we enter into God's Word, the question that we're trying to answer is not, do we imitate other people? Because we already know the answer to that. Yes, we do. The question is, who do we imitate? Who should we be following? Who should we be looking up to? That's the question for us this morning. We do follow someone. 
We, we all do. So who is it? Are we choosing good role models? So who should we be following? Well, um, you're at church this morning, and what is the right answer to any question asked of you at church? Jesus, that's right. Who should you be following? Jesus Christ, absolutely. Jesus is your ultimate example of what a Christian should look like. That's why we have that name. Christian, it means little Christs, followers of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is, is the only perfect man to ever live. He's God in human flesh. He's the person we should be mimicking, imitating. Just, just one challenge with that. Um, Jesus isn't here. Je- Jesus isn't bodily with us. He's here in the spirit, but we can't do life with Jesus. He lived 2,000 years ago. That's when he was incarnate halfway around the world. I, I can't go to HEB with Jesus and, and see how he shops. I, I can't go to work and see how Jesus treats his coworkers. Can't go to class and see how Jesus treats his professor. I can't go through my neighborhood and see how Jesus treats our neighbors. I, I can't do that because he's not living in the flesh with me. For that reason, in addition to imitating Christ, I need other role models who are with me right here in Bryan College Station in the 21st century. I need role models who are doing life with me, who I can go to the store with, go to class with, go to work with, live with. These are folks like my mom and dad. They've been role models to me in life. Brian Fisher's been a role model. Dick Davis and one of our former elders was a role model to me. These are folks who I could do life with. Now, they're not up to the level of Jesus Christ, and yet all of these people sought to walk with Jesus, to honor Jesus, and as they did, I could watch them. I could see, what are they doing? I could look up to these role models in the flesh in my life. Now, the Philippians faced that same challenge. They had never seen Jesus in the flesh. They'd never met Jesus bodily. And so Paul addresses that issue. I want you to look with me in chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 17. Paul addresses this same challenge that the Philippians have. Uh, He says to them, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul recognizes the fact that we are all imitators. He knows the Philippians are going to follow someone, so he wants to make sure they're following the right kinds of people. Now, ultimately, Christ is their example, but they also need role models in the flesh. Number one is Paul. He says, um, join in following my example, or literally, join with others in imitating me. Become a mimic of me. Now, Paul often challenged younger believers to imitate him because Paul had seen and talked to the risen Lord Jesus. He was an apostle. He was a great guy to follow. So first, they should be following Paul. But but there's a, a pretty big distance between them and Paul. Paul is like a thousand miles away in prison in Rome. So they also needed some role models with them who lived with them in Philippi. That's why the second group that Paul points them to, he says, observe or literally pay close attention to those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. In other words, look in your midst and find people who are living out the commands you've received from me in Scripture. And when you find a person like that, Pay close attention to them. Fix your mind, your eyes on their lives. Watch what they do and mimic it. Imitate it. Okay, so, so they need Paul, but they also need role models in their own lives with them in, in Philippi. And Paul wants him to follow these kind of role models. Role models who, who are obeying the principles of Scripture rather than the folks of verse 18. See, Paul is really concerned for the Philippians. 
He knows that as human beings, they will follow someone. He's concerned, so concerned that he's weeping as he writes this part of the letter. He's concerned that they will be drawn away to follow the example of those who may look attractive, but who are actually enemies of the cross of Christ, whose whose thoughts and words and actions are actually opposed to the advancement of God's kingdom. He knows that, man, you can be drawn away to follow those kind of folks. So he's warning them, please be careful in choosing to follow the right kinds of role models. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, you're, you're actually going to get um, two sermons for the price of one this morning, uh, because as we go through these passages, the first question we'll seek to answer is, how do I choose the right person to look up to? That's, that's really the, the first idea here. How do I choose the right kind of role model? What are the traits I should be looking for? But as Paul answers that question in the same words, he will also be telling us, how do I become the right person for others to look up to. The answer to both of these questions is the same. Paul's going to give us four traits to look for, both to look for in those we look up to and to look for in our own lives so that others can follow us. Paul's talking about the process of discipleship. We throw that Christian-y word around a lot, discipleship. It's really very simple. Discipleship is just a relationship where a student follows a mentor. And so after time, the student becomes a mentor to others. Discipleship is an unending chain where you are looking forward at the example of someone who's further along in their Christian life. You're watching them, you're mimicking them, and as you become like them, others are watching you and following your example and growing in Christ's likeness. That's what Paul's looking at, both forward and backwards. Who are we following? Who is following us? Okay, again, the answer to both questions is the same. Paul's going to give us four traits this morning that should be true in anyone who is worthy of being a role model. Anyone who is worthy of following, these four traits will be true. So uh, Paul's going to lay these traits out for us. We're actually going to start back in chapter 2. So you can look back at chapter 2. We're going to pick up where we left off last time, chapter 2, verse 19. Uh, we're going to go to the end of the chapter, 2, 19 through 30. Let me give you a little background. Um, 19 through 30 is, I guess, the closest thing in our day that you would compare this to is reference letters. You know, when you, you write a reference letter for a former employee, that, that's kind of what Paul is doing here. He's writing reference letters for two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus, writing a lot of good things about these guys. Here's why. Look with me at verse 30. Here's Paul's purpose, or rather verse 29. Here's his purpose in this section. He says, receive him, that is Epaphroditus and also Timothy, then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. A couple things going on here. A couple things Paul says. First of all, receive guys like this. Um, Receive, it's literally uh, welcome them into your home. See, in the ancient world, they had inns or or hotels, if you will, um, but they were almost always brothels. Okay, full full of prostitution. So uh, Christians, if they wanted to travel from one city to another, they're kind of kind of in a little bit of a hardship. They don't really want to stay in an inn because it's a really immoral place. So that's why Christians practiced hospitality. They would welcome other believers who were traveling into their home so that those folks didn't have to go stay in a brothel. Um, But if you're going to welcome into your home someone who maybe you've never met before, it'd be good to know that you can trust them. That's why most believers, as they traveled from one place to another, would carry a reference letter from an established leader in the church, who better than Paul. Okay, basically, Paul's saying, hey, you can trust these guys, Epaphroditus, Timothy, welcome them on in your home, I, I, I vouch for them. So that's the first purpose of this passage. Second purpose is in the, uh, the next phrase of verse 29, 
hold men like him in high regard. Otherwise, uh, honor, look up to guys like this. These are the guys that they should be looking up to as role models. Timothy and Epaphroditus, these are the men. These are the folks you should be watching and paying close attention to and mimicking in your lives. So we're going to jump in. We're going to look at one reference letter, first to Timothy, then the second to Epaphroditus. And we're going to begin to discover these traits that set apart Timothy and Epaphroditus as great role models. So look with me. Let's start with Timothy in verse 19. Read with me there. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. Okay, the the background here, what's going on? Um, Paul's saying, I'm going to send Timothy to you ASAP. As soon as I find out how my trial is going, I'm going to send him to you. And I'm going to send Timothy to you on a fact-finding mission. He's going to go to Philippi and he's going to see, how are you guys doing? Are are you practicing what I told you to do in, in this letter? Okay, are, are you are you growing in the likeness of Christ? And and Timothy's going to find out how you're doing, and he's going to come back and report to me so that I won't be so concerned, I won't be so worried. That's the idea. So Timothy's heading on a fact-finding mission, and in this reference letter that Paul writes for Timothy, he gives us two traits to look for in those we look up to. Uh, trait number one that Timothy evidences, he looks out for the right number one. Now, what do we usually mean when we say of someone they're looking out for number one? We usually mean that they're looking out for themselves. That's, that's what that idiom means. They look out for their own interests. Okay, that, that's the folks of verse 21, for they all seek after their own interests. That's normal human life. Most people look out for their own interests, their own needs. But that's not what Paul means of Timothy. Timothy's the opposite. He's not the number one. Something else is the number one in Timothy's life. Paul actually tells us three things that Timothy prioritizes above himself, that Timothy looks out for as more important than himself. Number one, your welfare. The the needs, the interests of the church in Philippi are more important to Timothy than his own welfare, than his own needs, his own desires. Uh, Second, the interests of Christ. Uh, Timothy absolutely loves Jesus Christ. He cares more about the desires, about the, the cares, about the values of Jesus Christ than he does his own life. Finally, verse 22, Timothy is living to serve in the furtherance of the gospel. Most important task to Timothy is sharing the gospel, evangelism. That's what he prioritizes in life. So what we see in Timothy is a man who looks out for the right number one. He puts Jesus Christ first in his life. I really think the middle one there is the most important. Timothy prioritizes above all else Jesus Christ. Jesus is first and foremost in his life. Jesus is is what Timothy cares about above all else. And because of that, he naturally cares about Jesus' message, the gospel, and Jesus' people, the Philippians, or the believers in Philippi. Okay, so what Paul's challenging us to do here, the first trait we should be looking for in those whom we're going to follow is that they put Jesus Christ first. Jesus is first and foremost in their lives. The interests, the desires, the values, the commands of Jesus take first place in their lives. And as a result, they care deeply about the message of Jesus, the gospel, and the people of Jesus, the church. 
So that's who we need to look for. I want to give you guys some, just some specific outward signs to be looking for. It's kind of, it's kind of hard to tell somebody's heart. Do, do they really love Jesus above all else? How do I see that? Let me give you some outward signs that will evidence if this is true in someone's life. First of all, the kind of person who looks out for the right number one, uh, this is the person who loves to talk about Jesus and the gospel. It's not, not just at church that they talk about Jesus and the gospel. It's a natural part of what they talk about in life. It's a natural part of their conversation. They, they want to talk about Jesus, about the gospel. It's, it's something that's just always there. I saw this at work in one of my professors, actually a number of my professors, but one comes to mind, Dr. Bingham, I shared with you a while ago about his crazy childhood. Um, Dr. Bingham and, and I disagreed on a number of points of theology and practice, and yet I got to say, I, I just admired that guy so much in his love for Jesus. Every lecture was about Jesus Christ, whether it was meant to be or not. He just kept coming back to that because for Dr. Bingham, everything was about Jesus Everything in his life, it was completely oriented towards Jesus Christ. So you talk to the guy, and somehow Jesus is going to come out of it. There's no way to talk to the guy about his car. Somehow Jesus is going to come out of that conversation. Jesus is always coming up as the guy talks. That's a good role model to follow. His conversation communicates to you that Jesus is number one. Uh, Second thing to look for in terms of an outward sign, I think we're looking for someone who cares more about the needs of others than the needs of themselves. They're quicker to talk about the needs of another person than to talk about their own needs. I don't know if he's in the room. I'm going to give props to Matt Martin on this. Uh, Matt is a, a guy who is just, yeah, he's a pretty awesome guy. Oh, is he not here? Well, Christine, you have to tell him. Um, Matt has always impressed me because of this idea. Um, I, I talk to Matt, and the first thing he always asks is, how am I doing? The guy loves to talk about me. He loves whenever he's talking to you to talk about you. He, he is focused on you. He's slow to talk about himself. You can draw it out. He'll be honest with you. But he's always focused on other people. That's a great role model to follow. It's a great thing to be looking for. Finally, another outward sign to look for to evidence that Jesus Christ takes first priority is a person who is always reaching outside of their comfort zone to embrace others. Outside of their circle of friends to draw in the, the outcast, the person who doesn't fit in, the unbeliever. One of my best friends in college, Nathan, who's now ministering in East Asia with us, um, he was a great example of this. Uh, in college, you know, you're always hanging out with your friends and you, you like your circle of friends and you like to do stuff with them. Nathan was unique. I feel like almost every party we had, Nathan would bring somebody we didn't know. Nathan would bring somebody he just met like the other day. I'm not talking about like a girl. He would bring a guy who isn't, maybe a guy who, who doesn't really have any friends, a guy who doesn't yet know Jesus, even a guy who is socially awkward, who's having a tough time fitting in. Nathan would bring that guy and he'd spend the whole party with him. Because Nathan was constantly looking outside of his circle of friends for other people to draw to Jesus and to draw into this family we have here in the church. An amazing example. That's the kind of person you want to look up to. So we're, first trait we're looking for is someone who, who looks out for number one, for the right number one, for Jesus Christ above all as evidence in how they treat other people, how they talk about the needs of others, and how they talk about Jesus. That's the first trait. Second trait that we see in the life of Timothy and the example of Timothy is that he is proven. You saw that uh, in verse 22, but you know of his proven worth. Paul focuses on a few things that are proven here. Number one, uh, he's proven in his teamwork with other believers. He has served with Paul literally as a slave or a bondservant. 
He served with Paul not for like a month or, or maybe a year, but for like a decade by this time. He has served, partnered with Paul. I, I think what we're talking about here is we're looking for someone who's a good team player. We're looking for somebody who can get along with other believers. They can work together well with other believers. Timothy had proven that. For years, he was a faithful partner in ministry. Second, um, he, he had served for years as a son to a father. This is talking about submission. Timothy was a follower of Paul. He willingly submitted himself to Paul's leadership. Year after year, he did not buck against Paul's authority. He willingly submitted himself to authority. I think as you look for role models, you're looking for folks who for years have willingly submitted themselves to the authorities that God has put in their lives. They willingly submit to whoever it might be. They say, I'm going to follow that person because God's put them in my life. Uh, Third, Timothy had a proven track record of serving in the furtherance of the gospel. He had worked hard, he had sweated hard to get the gospel out there, to share the gospel, not for days, not for months, but year after year after year for decades. What what Paul's challenging is, let's get very practically, he's telling us, look up to people who have a proven track record of faithfulness to God. Don't, don't, Don't choose to follow or imitate those who are new believers, those who are as young as you. Look up to those who've been walking faithfully for decades. I think that's a really good warning to us in the church. I I feel like in the last 10 years, there's really developed a cult of the new in evangelical Christianity. I'll give you an example. 2003, a guy named Donald Miller wrote a book, Blue Like Jazz. He wrote it when he was 32 years old. Okay, very interesting book. Very interesting. Lots of good ideas in there. I'm not going to give a critique or a review of the book this morning. Here's my point. I know of folks using that book as Bible studies. I know of of folks who give so much weight to that book, they're ready to canonize it. They read it more than they read the Bible. I'm not saying anything about the book. My concern is you're ready to canonize a book written by a 32-year-old. He's 32. He's barely lived at all. That's how old I am. I'm not ready to write a book that everybody follows. We've got to wait a little while. Let's see how his life plays out. Does Donald Miller walk with the Lord for decade after decade after decade? got to be careful about following the thing that is new. That's why when I'm looking for an author to throw my weight behind, I'm looking for guys like Lewis Sperry Schaefer, Charles Spurgeon, A.W. Tozer. Uh, most of those guys are dead now. Guys whose lives prove faithful. They walked with the Lord for decades. I can trust the reliability of their words. Follow guys like that. The Andrew Murray's, the Luther's, the Augustine's of the Christian faith. They've proven faithful. You can bank on it. Now, that doesn't just apply to what we read. It applies also to the living role models we choose to follow. Now, there, there is a place where, where we can imitate good behavior in people who are our own age. Like I said, I feel like I learned a lot from Nathan, who's exactly my own age. And yet at the same time, when I'm choosing someone to follow, I think we should choose to follow those who've lived already for a long period of time faithfully to Jesus Christ. Look for those who've really walked with the Lord for years, for decades. I, I think, um, put them on the spot here, but, but folks like Eddie Colson, folks like our elders, like our elders' wives, former elders and their wives. Um, we spent some time recently going through what are the responsibilities of an elder. Did you know that one of the number one responsibilities is to be a role model to you? Biblically speaking, that, that might be one of the most important things an elder does. Be a role model to the rest of us. So I challenge you, look for those who've been walking with the Lord for decades of faithfulness. Get to know the Colsons, get to know the Jedekies, get to know the Elder Fishers, the Elder Coils, those who've walked with the Lord for decades. 
In my own life, the primary example I look to, he, he passed away a short time ago, is Dick Davison. He'd been an elder for decades. I, I had about four, four or five years with him on staff before he passed away. I feel like I learned so much from Dick because he was so proven. And the guy loved his wife like a newlywed, and yet he was, what, 80 years old? That's the kind of example I want to follow, proven for decades. So second trait that you need to look for, find somebody to look up to who's proven, who has a proven track record of decades of faithfulness to the Lord. That's key. Third trait that we're going to look at, we're actually going to move now to the example of Epaphroditus, to the second reference letter in this section. So look with me. Let's start in verse 25. Paul says, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me so that it would not so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Uh, A little bit of background for a second. Um, Paul's in house arrest in Rome. Um, Prisons were not like they are today in the ancient world. Uh, In house arrest, Paul had to provide for his own food, clothing, lodging, and yet could not hold a job because he's under arrest. That meant that somebody had to come take care of Paul. The person who did that was Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was from Philippi. He is a Philippian believer who'd been faithful. They send Epaphroditus to serve Paul, to fulfill their ministry to Paul. That's, that's kind of what's going on. You may notice the end of verse 30 sounds really weird. It sounds like a rebuke. Epaphroditus is risking his life to fulfill what you didn't do. Well, it's what they couldn't do. The Philippians lived like a thousand miles away. Epaphroditus came and in the flesh took care of Paul's physical needs. And in so doing, he teaches us a third trait to look for in those whom we desire to follow. Epaphroditus embraced the cross. He embraces his own cross. We don't know why Epaphroditus got sick. We we don't know the details, what the actual disease is. What we do know is that his sickness resulted from his sacrificial service to Paul. In behalf of Christ, Epaphroditus was serving Paul, going to the store to get food, living with him in prisons, fellowshipping with other prisoners. Somehow, in those interactions, he got deathly ill. In in so doing, in choosing to serve Paul even when it cost him his health, Epaphroditus was following the example of Jesus we saw earlier in chapter 2. Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for the good of others, for the good of us. Epaphroditus is doing the same thing, not literally crucifixion, but he is embracing his own cross, this illness that he willingly embraced for the sake of serving Paul. And and he's really giving us a third trait here. We should look up to those who embrace the cross, who embrace suffering for the sake of Christ and others. Now, most of us are, are not going to be asked, I don't think, to embrace sickness or death in behalf of Christ, we might, but that's not going to be for most of us. I want to give you a, a, a more likely list. Here are some of the things that I think we should be looking for in those that we look up to. If you want to find a good role model, find someone who willingly sacrifices first their time. And this is a person who willingly gives time, hours and hours and hours, years after, year after year to the church, to the, to the ministries that God has to serve other people. Someone who is quick to get up off the couch and go take care of someone. When someone's in the hospital, boom, they're up and visiting. 
When a neighbor's in need, boom, they're over there. When there's a ministry to, to serve in, boom, they're there. Okay, they're giving their time sacrificially to the things that Christ cares about. That's a good sign of someone who embraces the cross. Second thing, they sacrifice their comfort. Okay, they, they willingly give up their ease, the things that are luxurious around them for the sake of Christ. I, I think particularly of missionaries here. Folks like a Hudson Taylor or an Adoniram Judson who left the United States, who left the comforts they could have here to live sacrificially on the mission field. That's a great example to follow. Sacrifice is their emotional strength. What I'm thinking of here is the believer who willingly enters into the mess and pain of other people's lives. I'm thinking of a guy like Chip Howard. Chip Howard's one of our elders. Uh, Chip is amazing to me because when messy situations, when painful situations come up in our church, like a marriage falling apart, someone dying in the hospital, someone facing cancer, Chip's there in an instant. It's not because Chip has all this extra time. He has a job. No, Chip is there in an instant. Chip willingly gives his emotional strength, his emotional reserves to meet the needs of others. That's a great sign. When someone willingly enters into the mess and pain of other people's lives, you know that's a person worth following. Finally, sacrifice is money. I think it's worthwhile looking up to the person who you know they could be living in a bigger house. You know they could be driving a fancier car, but they willingly gave that up so that they would be free to give towards the interests of Christ. That they would be willing to, they'd be free to give to the church, to missions, to those in need. I think that's beautiful. When you see someone bucking the trend of this world and not upscaling their house and their car, but instead living contentedly in a little bit smaller house, a little bit older car, so that they can give, man, follow that person's example. That's a stud. That's an awesome person to look up to. So third trait we're looking for, someone who embraces the cross, who willingly sacrifices time, comfort, emotional energy, and money. Okay, Let's move on to the fourth one. We're actually going to move back to chapter 3 now. We finished with Epaphroditus. We're going to turn back to where Paul was in chapter 3, verse 17. And we want to pick it up there and, and finish this little section and get the fourth trait. Paul says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I've often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself." Paul's giving us a fourth trait to look for here. He's telling us, follow those who live as citizens of heaven, those who live out their heavenly citizenship. But what does that actually look like? Paul helps us to understand what it looks like to live as a citizen of heaven by describing the opposite. So verses 18 and 19 do. They describe the opposite kind of life. Um, Number of, of traits giving here. The opposite of living as a citizen of heaven are those who are opposed to the gospel. They're resistant to the message of grace found in the gospel. Those who are unsaved. That if, if they don't turn and embrace the gospel, will end up eternally separated from God. Uh, those who worship or serve their fleshly appetites, who make a god of their belly, Paul literally says. Uh, those who rejoice in what is actually shameful. They exalt in things that the Bible calls shameful. Those who set their minds on things of earth. Their fixation is on the possessions, the pursuits, the pleasures of earth. Those are who we should not be following. Now, in your mind, you might be saying to me right now, okay, Blake, I know better than to follow someone like this. 
I would never choose as my role model an enemy of the gospel, a person who worships their sinful appetites, a person who rejoices in what is shameful. I'd never follow a person like that as a role model. Good, but remember the second verb that Paul used in verse 17? This morning isn't just about who we follow. It's about who we observe, or literally who we pay attention to. That's what that verb means. What Paul is telling us here is, I'm not just caring about who you follow, I'm caring who you pay attention to, who you give space in your thoughts to, who you fix your eyes upon, who you watch. Even if you say, I'm not choosing them as a role model, Paul cares about who you're looking at. I got permission from my wife to share a fitting illustration with you. One of her more embarrassing days, she was exercising in a gym in Dallas, running on a treadmill. And she was on the first row of three rows of treadmills. So there's a ton of people in, you know, behind her. And uh, Julie had run many times on a treadmill. She's very natural at it. So she's running at a good clip and she's watching Oprah. Oprah's on a TV in front of her. Um, except it wasn't exactly in front of her. Uh, Oprah was actually a few feet to the side. And so Julie simply turned her head to watch Oprah as she ran at this good clip. Everything was going well until she steps on the stationary rail of the treadmill and gets catapulted off treadmill at full speed in front of the whole gym. Well, what happened? It wasn't like Julie's first time on a treadmill. She knew what she was doing. What happened? She was not looking straight forward. She was looking a little to the side. And, and even though she planned to run forward, because her eyes were to the side, she slowly got pulled towards the side of the treadmill until she got thrown off. She got pulled in the direction that her eyes were focused. Now, I tell you this illustration for two reasons. Reason number one, I think that's a perfect illustration of what Paul means by pay attention to. You may choose not to follow someone, but if you're paying attention to their lives, if you're filling your brain with their behaviors, with their words, with their actions, you will invariably be pulled towards them. You can't help it. You are an imitator. You follow other people. That's how you were born. That's the way God made you. If you fix your mind on the example of people that you don't want to follow, the effect will be the same. You will follow them. You can't help it. That's the first reason I tell you it. Second reason I tell you that story is I think it identifies probably the primary culprit that trips us up. TV. Not just talking about TV. I'm talking about media, uh, TV, movies, video games. Very entertaining things that have incredible power to influence you, whether for good or for bad. They say you are what you watch. There's a reason they say that, because you become what you fixate upon. Now, most of us would never choose uh, Jennifer Aniston or Ryan Seacrest or the cast of CSI to be our role models in life, would we? We know that these should not be our role models. But if we're filling our minds with shows with these folks, if we're filling our minds with their antics on TV or movies, what's going to happen? We're going to be drawn in their direction. We can't help it. Now, I want to be clear with you this morning. I'm not telling you not to watch TV or movies. That's not what this is about. I'm telling you to be careful what you watch and how much you watch. Be careful what you choose to watch and how much you choose to watch because whether you like it or not, you are filling your brain with the example of people whom you will imitate. You can't help it. If you're filling your mind with the example of people you would never choose to follow, you still will follow them. You can't help it. You will be drawn after their example. So be incredibly careful about what you choose to watch and how much you choose to watch. Be careful also in what you choose to read. Whether in print or on the internet, 
If, if you are, uh, I think most of us know not to follow the examples of the actors and actresses we might read about in People magazine. We know we don't want to look up to them as role models. But if you're filling your brain with People magazine, you will invariably be drawn in the direction of those people. You can't help it. You'll be influenced by them. So be careful what you fill your mind with. If, if you are more familiar with the lives of Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie than you are with the lives of heroes of the faith, like Hudson Taylor or Amy Carmichael, then you are in danger of getting pulled towards the very things that are up on the board right now. Because we are highly influenceable creatures. That's what it means to be human. You are what you watch, so be very careful what you allow into your brain. It's not just about who you choose to follow. It's what you allow to influence you. Okay, so Paul wants us to avoid this. These are not who we should be looking up to, who we should be paying careful attention to. Instead, he wants us to follow those who do just the opposite. As citizens of heaven, they love the gospel. They love to share the gospel. They're not enemies of the gospel. They're out promoting the gospel. I look at guys like my dad here, who's constantly looking for new ways to share the gospel with his neighbors and customers at his, at his uh, business. Uh, We're looking for people who are not destined for destruction, people who are living with confident hope, complete confidence that they are going to be saved, confidence that sustains them even in the midst of trials. Uh, I had the privilege of knowing before she passed away a great saint of the faith, uh, Kathy Jackson. Kathy suffered from a serious illness for many, many years. Um, I feel like I learned from Kathy how to live with confident hope in the midst of pain. Kathy was always confident of her salvation. She never lost that. She was such an example to us of that confident hope you can live with even in the midst of pain. She's a great example to follow. Third, those who deny their fleshly appetites. I think we're, we're supposed to look up to those who are not owned by anything to do with their body. They're not owned by sex. They're not owned by the desire for food. They're not owned by alcohol. They're not owned by the desire for sleep or exercise. Nothing bodily controls them. They are in control of their bodies. They exercise good self-discipline. We're looking for those who don't rejoice in shame. They rejoice in what God honors. People who rejoice in the righteousness of God, who reject watching or paying attention to those things that God calls shameful. Finally, those who set their minds on heavenly things. I look again at some of my professors at DTS. Um, These are guys who have incredible intellect. They're brilliant, big brain guys. Uh, They've got PhDs. They could go earn so much money with the intellect that they have. And yet they do not focus on earthly things. Instead, they willingly give up the salaries, the big homes, the big cars that their intellects could earn them. And they willingly embrace the poverty of being a seminary prof because their minds are focused on heavenly things. They care more about the interests of heaven, the pursuit of heaven, than they do about the things they could pursue here on earth. Okay, so uh, let me draw this together and summarize what we're doing today. Uh, We've looked at two questions this morning. How do we choose the right role models to follow? And how do we become the right role models to follow? The answer is the same to both questions. We're looking for four traits. Uh, Number one, we're looking for those who look out for the right number one, for the interests of Christ above all else. Second, we're looking for those who are proven. They've demonstrated faithfulness for decades. Third, we're looking for those who embrace the cross. They embrace sacrifice. Fourth, we're looking for those who live as citizens of heaven. What I, what I want to challenge you to do this week is spend some time reflecting on those four traits. I want you to ask yourself a couple questions. Number one, who am I, who am I following? Who, who am I allowing to influence me? Is it the Brad Pitts and Angelina Jolies of the world? Or is it people who are practicing those four traits? 
if you look in your life and you see an absence of people who are practicing these, then what I would challenge you to do is to find some good role models. Call up one of the elders of this church. They would love to spend time with you or one of their wives or a deacon or his wife or a leader of the church. Find somebody here who models these things and get to know them. Go to lunch with them. They'll do it with you because it's like the number one responsibility they have. Uh, If you're a married couple, I really challenge you, join your marriage to the marriage of somebody further along. Find a married couple out there who's been married maybe a couple decades more than you and who are practicing these things and go to dinner with them. Don't just hang out with couples your own age. Look up at those with a proven track record of faithfulness whom you can imitate. It's the first question I want you to think about this week. Who am I following? Am I following the right role models? If not, make a change. Second, I want you to ask, am I becoming a good role model? Are these traits present in my life today? Am I practicing these things? I guarantee you someone is watching you right now. I don't mean that to be a a source of paranoia. It's just a fact. Someone's looking up to you right now. You are being watched. You are being followed. You are being imitated. So are you the right person to be looked up to? Are you practicing these things? Are these four traits at work in your life? If not, then this is, this is a time to find a good role model who has these traits so you can follow them, you can watch them, you can imitate them, you can become a good role model to others. That's what God wants for this body right here, that we are all growing to become great role models to one another and to those who aren't yet here, who we're going to draw in to our fellowship. So uh, let me close in prayer and, and ask the Lord to begin to help work in our lives so that we're watching and becoming great role models. Heavenly Father, we do indeed bow before you and thank you, first of all, for your son Jesus, who is our ultimate role model. But thank you also that you've put in our lives those who've walked faithfully with Jesus for years, for decades, whom we can look up to, whom we can mimic and orient our lives after. I pray, Lord, that all of us would have good role models. Help us all to find people to mimic, to look up to. Help us each also to become good role models to others, Lord. Good role models to our children, to our friends, to our neighbors, to younger people in the church. Please be working in us, Lord, so all four of these traits would be present in each of our lives so that we can truly glorify you, for you are worthy of that, Lord. Thank you so much for this day. Continue to change us to be more and more in the likeness of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.